You're listening to a Jigged, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week we caught up with the very busy Holly Graham, who is the managing editor of Drink Magazine Asia, as well as working in the old man in Hong Kong and the founder of Asia Women in Booze Community. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats became the greats. So enjoy. Hi, I'm Holly Graham. Um, I'm the managing editor of Drink Magazine Asia. I also work at The Old Man Hong Kong. I'm the Asia ambassador for Earn Your Booze and the founder of the Asia Women in Booze community. Thank you very much for finding the time to coming over. It's great to have you here in Mandarin Oriental. I'm sure that cocktail week was uh, quite intense. Yeah, I think um, I must apologize to the listeners. My voice is a testament to how cocktail week was for me. I've not been able to speak for the most of the week. <laughs> Congratulations on the old man. Thank you very much. Thank Number you. One in Asia. That's that's when I lost my voice was that night. <laughs> uh, how does it feel? I like it's an indescribable feeling. Obviously, like I'm a happy person. I've had lots of happy moments in my life. Um, and I, you know, for me, I'm just a part timer. And I still, as close as I am to a Gong and Roman and James, if if I feel like this, I can't imagine how they feel. I mean, I'm. You can see I'm stupidly grinning now. You know, it's just it was just incredible. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Olman. When did it start? So I used to, before I joined Drink Magazine, I was the food and drink editor of Time Out Hong Kong. And I was there for about three years. And there were some changes and I decided it was time for me to leave. And I wanted to be a freelance writer. So in between Time Out and Drink, there was about six weeks. And I was kind of floating around doing a bit of freelance. And when I was at Time Out, I wrote a five-star review of The Old Man. And in my three years, it was the only five-star review I ever gave. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm hard to please. Um, and because of that review, the guys, they found me on Facebook. They reached out and they said, you know, I remember Roman emailed me, uh, messaged me and said, you know, your review gave us goosebumps. It was amazing. So, you know, I carried on drinking at the bar. We became good friends. And when I left time out, I kind of in my cheeky way just said, hey, do you want to give me a job? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, that was easy. Um, so yeah, I started working for them on the floor. And that's kind of where I started to learn to bartend as well. Like I'm still learning a lot, but yeah, I'm like super grateful for the opportunity they've given me. And I'm not so much on the floor these days because we have like such a solid, you know, team. But yeah, I'm still sort of behind the scenes. How was uh, working on the floor? Was this the first bar job you ever had? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Like at university, I worked in a pub, but you know, that was pulling pints uh, and it was quite a rough pub as well. So I'd had my, you know, I'd experienced stuff and I worked in a cafe when I was younger. Um, so I'd had some pretty like hardcore, rough hospitality experiences, you know, not like the stuff that we're used to. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was probably my first proper experience. And it was just amazing Like every night I buzzed off of it. And, you know, I love talking to people. And, you know, I love learning about the cocktails and just, you know, and just being part of the family. And that's that's the important thing for me is to always feel part of a team and a family. Tell us a little bit about your origins. Where did you start? I have lived many lives. So uh-huh. I'm originally from London and I moved to Asia when I was 24. Um, so I've been here for eight years now. Do the math. Work out how old I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I studied like media production at university with a like major in uh, filmmaking. And I always wanted to be a screenwriter and producer. So I've always been a writer. And I graduated in 2008, which was hardcore recession time in London. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living with my mom, which, you know, wasn't ideal as someone in their mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a great job working in advertising production and I got made redundant. And it was really disheartening at like 21, 22. 
I'd studied so hard for three years and spent a lot of money at university to, you know, have a job for six months and be made redundant. So I I then had a little bit of money. So I went and traveled around Australia and I got the travel bug and I got back and I thought, how can I get out of the UK and earn money? So I did what a lot of people do and became an English teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a teaching qualification, moved to Thailand, uh, was there for one year in like rural Thailand. Then I moved to Seoul in Korea for two years. Then I came to Hong Kong and I realized that I hate children. Really? <laughs> it took me four years. Okay. And I had a teaching job uh, in Hong Kong and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, but seeing the expat community around me in Hong Kong, I realized that you could do other things as an expat. You didn't have to just be a banker or a teacher. Um, so I hustled hard and I just started freelancing whilst I was teaching for free um, to get my name out there. And I went for the job at Time Out and I got it. Like I was just, it was amazing. And I was on cloud nine for a very long time. Time Out used to be huge, was using it. Like it was, it was especially in the UK. Yeah, like I mean, Time Out London is 50 years old now. The original one. Really? Yeah. Wow. And Time Out Hong Kong is was 10 this year, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, you know, I remember like back in the days, like when you had places like uh, all the, what was the name of that bar? Uh, Whistling Shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when you open Whistling Shop, place is dead. And then at some point that one five-star review comes in, places back. It used to be very, very, very influential. I think nowadays with the age of social media, things have moved quite yeah. far away from it, haven't they? Well, actually, that's kind of the reason, to come back to your earlier question, that is kind of the reason I left. Because I was a critic, you know, I was a food critic and a drink critic. And as much as I love that, um, nobody really, it's fun to write a really good review or a really bad review, but you always have a moral dilemma, right? You know, if I went to an establishment, If it was really bad, I wouldn't write a review and I'd say to them, look, guys, this really wasn't good and I- I'm happy to come back another time. But, you know, you it, you still feel bad. You know how businesses work and you don't want to destroy anyone unless, mm. you know, unless they deserve it. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, of yeah. course. But absolutely. And but- like I was already so ingrained in the bar industry in um, Hong Kong because, uh, you know, my partner's a bartender, my best friends are bartenders or hospitality. And it just got to this like pinnacle moment where I, I thought I can I need to choose my team. I need to go industry or consumer and I chose industry and I made the right choice. So tell us a little bit about uh, the, your experience as a bartender, like because you started quite late in your career, right? I yeah. Mean, so uh, what were the challenges that you faced at the very Just beginning? Just like for me, I it sounds terrible, but I'm quite a proud person, so I don't want to look like an idiot. So... And I, I like, you know, ironically, being an ex-critic, taking criticism is quite hard, but it was, I had to really open myself up to be like, right, what do I need to do? Am I doing this right? Is my shake right? Is my stir right? You know, what measurements do I need? Blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was a lot, like a lot of learning very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an onslaught. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, respect to all you bartenders that have been doing it for so long with your Rolodex of recipes. Like, I have the memory of a sieve and I don't know how people remember these recipes, but... I'm really grateful um, to the old man family because they've given me such a chance. And for me, some bartenders have said that I'm really lucky because I've got to do guest shifts. And that's a really good way to learn because there's a lot less pressure. You don't have to operate the POS. You can make your drinks. But for me, it's been really good to develop my technique and like my hospitality skills as well. And then, you know, when I'm on the floor at the old man, that's when I, you know, learn to multitask and do everything. But like, yeah, I'm just, I'm super grateful. They've given me such good opportunities. What is the thing that you enjoy the most about working in a bar? Just talking to people. Um, people are always surprised. Um, 
I know, like, I hate to go down that road, but people are always surprised that a woman knows so much about alcohol and cocktails. Really? Yeah, I, I found that. And, you know, and people always people always ask me my story as well, like when I'm working and they say, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm actually a journalist. Like, that's that's my main thing, you know? And they're like, oh, wow, but you know how to do this, this and this. And I said, well, that's half the reason that I joined the old man team as well, because I, you know, and I, I don't want to be a critic, so I need to learn about what I'm writing about. And uh, otherwise... I, I don't think that if I was an outside person, I wouldn't respect a writer who didn't know what they were writing mm -hmm. about. So, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, just talking to people, the camaraderie. I don't enjoy the constant shots, but like I kind of do, you know. It's like industry curse and it's, blessing at the same time. Yeah, it's like feeling part of a family and like just working in the room and making people happy, you know. Mm. Quick question about uh, the team at the Old Man. It's a quite female heavy team, is it? Yeah, so we've got um, quite a few of us and like that's, I mean... It's kind of unintentional, really, like, which is which is how I hope the rest of the community goes forward, you know, because women, I want women to want to work in bars, um, you know, without owners or staff having to actively seek them. And I couldn't tell you why. I guess, you know, we have Nat, our bar manager at The Old Man, who's just, she's such a badass and she's very warm, but she gets stuff done as well. Like she's, you know, she doesn't mess around. And I think that, I think it attracts other women as well, especially like, you know, we've got Ivan on our team who's young, but she's such a rock star. Like, and yeah, they're just such a great team. And I think that, I think it's the, the sort of the family element of the old man that maybe attracts women as well. So I wanted to ask you a question about what were the challenges that you had in this industry as a woman? But I don't know how relevant this question is. Because I think if we keep asking ourselves these questions, we keep putting women in a corner where whereby yeah. life is more difficult than other people. Well, in reality, I think that's not a thing, is it? I don't know. I mean, I'm happy to talk about this, something that's like massively on my agenda at the moment. This is why I founded, it's, it's only still a baby, but I founded uh, just, it's just a Facebook group called Asia Women in Booze. And we had our first meetup during cocktail week. Mm -hmm. And... It's funny because you don't realize there's a need for something until it's there, if that makes sense. And, you know, a lot of the girls said to me, like, thank you for setting up this community and, you know, let's keep this rolling forward and let's have meetups all over, you know, Asia and the world. You know, we're not just, although it's more for women in our industry in Asia, like we're happy to welcome women from all walks of life. And sometimes I forget as a woman that it is hard until something like smacks you in the face. You know, just last week in one of my guest shifts, I had... A woman, uh, sorry, a guy tell me that I'm a woman, so he can bartend better than me, um, which might be true because I'm still learning. But I was like, you know, that's not how you foster and help people grow, you know. So this is still a thing. Yep. Unfortunately, yeah. And like, this is the sad thing as well. And like, you know, we respect men like yourselves and my partner and they're, they're allies. But the saddest thing for me is seeing men who don't realize that it's that bad for us. You know, like my my partner said to me, he was like, I didn't realize how bad it was for women until I listened to you guys talk, you know, which is sad because people like him respect women naturally. So when they hear of guys being assholes, they're like, I can't believe this happens in the world. Uh, the American bar when I was there was a very, very male heavy. But one of the reasons was that we really literally did not receive any applications from women. But then what I've realized is that sometimes the system, and I'm not just singling out the American bar, this is one of the experiences I had because it happened more or less everywhere, but you see that the expectations for a woman, they're higher. So, you know, oh, she can't work in the bar because she doesn't know how to do this, this and that. But then you've got a guy who's in the same position. It's like, oh, he's very talented. Don't worry, he's going to learn. So that, that's the way I saw that. But I've also seen that over the last five years, there's been a huge progress 
in that specific direction, meaning that women are given the, the yeah. opportunity the same way as a man is. And I think Pippa, I don't know if you know Pippa Guy. Yeah. That works yeah. She's a great example. Natalie was a great example yeah. of, of that specific fact to keep it within the old man family. But I just, I was not aware of the fact that you still have people that go around and... Yeah, it's a sad reality. Um, and we're, we're fortunate in Hong Kong, we don't really experience it. And we we have great bars, uh, you know, like the Pontiac led by Becca Lee Franks, um, that is currently an all-female team and has predominantly been all-female. Um, and I think that really changed the perspective of a lot of people. And, you know, and maybe other bars out there look at bars like the Pontiac and think, oh, okay, like it works when you have an all-female team. Because, you know, I'm a woman, we are passionate, we do, we, you know, we do not care sometimes, but that's because we're passionate and we care. You know, I think some people from the outside think, oh, wow, all female team, they must argue all the time. But we argue usually out of love most of the time when women mm. like bitch about each other. It's because we love each other and we, you know, we want to see each other doing well and lift each other up. So, I mean, you mentioned this perceived quite well, but how is uh, this this community of being perceived by the international Bartani community? I, like I said, we just had our first meetup last week and I was really humbled to the point of like near tears that, you know, there was only, I don't know, 25 of us, but the fact that anyone turned up and people have joined the group and they've been active in the community and, you know, we don't sit there. I think a lot of people think that these women's communities, we sit there and we bash men, which is not true. You know, like my my father was a stay-at-home father, you know, my mum was the breadwinner. So like I was always raised a bit differently, you know, mm, non-traditionally mm. anyway. Um, and I've always had huge respect for men. So we don't sit there and like sit, bash men and say, oh, they, you know, they're terrible at this or they're terrible at that. It's more about the need for these women's communities, I think, is a lot to do with the fact that women are pitted each against each other so much. So it's not about pushing away men, it's about lifting each other up and showing each other that women can be friends, we can be allies, you know, we're not we're not all out to get each other, like we're part of a team and if we work together, that's going to make, you know, put more females in the industry, no matter what industry you're in. Mm -hmm. But did you see bars or communities reacted in a negative way to this specific... Uh, in a negative way? Yeah. Um, fortunately not. I've heard of cases of... Uh, I was warned by some of my male friends that they said, you know, be prepared because some men will turn around and say, well, why do you need a women's group? You know, what about men? We don't have these groups. Um, mm. There's al there's always going to be haters. Fortunately, I haven't encountered any yet. Um, like I said, behind the bar I have. But when it comes to our community, like fortunately not yet. And I really hope we don't. But if we do, I will tell them where to go. <laughs> what advice would you have for a young woman who wants to get into this career and gets targeted by such behavior? I would just say, like, excuse my language, but you just have to not give a fuck. Like, mm. you got to be a badass. Uh, you don't take shit. And sometimes, as sad as it is, like, I mean, it's in my nature to be quite, like, passionate and aggressive. Um, and I'm not saying every woman has to be like that, but you just have to show people that you're in control. Um, and and it, But it's also okay to show emotion. Like, if something upsets you, let it upset you. You know, you're a human being. No one's asking women to have this like shell over them and be like, I'm a hard ass, you know? And I think that it's about educating people. Like if this guy thinks that you can't make a good drink, make him a fucking good drink and show him that, you know, you can do better, maybe just as good or better than your male counterparts. Um, just prove them wrong and just keep working because one day it will all pay off. Yeah. And I, I think if you see over the course of the last 10 years, I've seen that there are, there are more and more women joining this industry. And it's great to see, you know, like when I started my career, I was in a team of like four men and the idea of having a woman there was 
unthinkable, yeah. you know? So, and then things are, are starting to change, I think. Talking about it is, it's helpful. It's yeah. very helpful, I'm you sure. You need to keep yeah. the conversation. This is why I do stuff like this, is to keep the conversation going, you know? And I, I want to inspire young women. Like, for me, part of the reason I wanted to get into bartending, because there's nothing more powerful than being behind a bloody bar with your shakers. You know, I've, I don't know about other bartenders, but that's what drew me to it. I feel strong when I'm making drinks and, and serving people and showing them that we can make tasty drinks. So let's talk a little bit about uh, yourself as a writer. You define yourself as a writer, I mean, uh, meaning that's your first... Uh, My first love. Uh, your first love. Talk us through your current position. Um, so I'm the man managing editor at Drink Magazine, and I used to freelance for them when I was at Time Out and was really fortunate that they uh, called me when I left Time Out and offered me a job, and it was it was a dream come true for me. Like, I'd met Theo Watt, the founder, at my... 28th birthday at Union Trading Co in Shanghai and someone said have you guys met each other and we hadn't and we were both we'd had a bit to drink it was my birthday and because it was a guest shift as well and uh I just remember said, I said I want to write for you guys and he was like cool so that's when I started freelancing and then eventually led to the job and it honestly was a dream come true I was like wow I can't believe this just happened um And yeah, so I started on maternity cover. I was covering the old editor um, and she uh, decided to leave. So I went full time with them. Um, and for me, you know, we're Drink Magazine Asia and we're a small team. Well, Asia is mostly just me because the rest of the team is Shanghai. Um, so they have a WeChat platform and it's very China based, obviously. And the first thing that I did when I joined was I just wanted to make sure that I gave as much even coverage as I could to all of Asia because it's hard, right? I'm based in Hong Kong. And, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore has such a good cocktail scene mm -hmm. that it's easy to just constantly write about Hong Kong and Singapore. But I looked at other countries like Vietnam and I thought, right, who's doing cool things? Um, and just this week, like I had one of the Viet a couple of the Vietnamese bartenders come up to me and say, like, thank you so much, Holly. Thank you for giving us a bit of light and, you know, writing about our scene and trying to build us up as well. And that's that's what I want to do. It's not just about as much as you know i love my home city hong kong i i, I want to celebrate you know myanmar and vietnam and cambodia because those guys you know hong kong and singapore was those guys once upon a time um and you know we need to build them up too mm. how do you effectively separate your two jobs or uh, do you try to separate the two your two jobs yeah i mean like drink is full time and like i said the old man i'm not on the floor as much these days um because the team is pretty solid and it was more of like an ad hoc thing but i guess like I, I just define myself as like an industry all rounder, you mm. know, like I'm doing, I'm doing writing, bartending, um, you know, trying to raise up like female profiles in the industry. And it, it just all works really well together. Like there isn't, I don't really have to separate it because they all marry together really nicely, you know? Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that you mentioned that you want to trigger different markets within uh, Asia. How do you go about finding who does the cool stuff in those markets? So I'm really fortunate that I get to travel a lot and I know, you know, at least one or two people or like sort of, what would you call them? The, uh, the big dogs in each mm. country. And I just sort of say to them when I first started drink. So for example, like, you know, Jen Queen in Myanmar, I said to her, look, you're, you're my girl on the ground. Like just send me all the cool stuff. Let me go know what's going on. And I sort of made... They're like my little unofficial helpers. You know, I have like little people all around the world. And also I take advantage of the traveling because that's getting my face out there, drinks face out there. And in return, I get to celebrate those people that I meet as well. Mm. So it's more about find a champion on the ground and then yeah. an eye on that person to tell you what's going on. Exactly. And then like, 
once I find that champion and then I visit that country, it just expands, right? You know, the mm-hmm. network naturally grows. What is the most interesting market right now for you here in Asia in terms of like fastest growing? I think, so obviously, you know, you've got like Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, KL are kind of leading the way um, in Southeast Asia. Obviously, Japan has always been killing it as mm-hmm. Japan. I think that as someone who used to live in Seoul, Seoul has accelerated massively and it's still it's still got a way to go. But I left Seoul in 2014 just before Southside Parlor opened and Southside Parlor was kind of the first cocktail like good cocktail bar in in Korea and then obviously Charles H came along and like subsequently other bars have opened um so for me as someone who used to live there who would, could not find a decent cocktail that wasn't just like margarita mix and shitty tequila you know it's jumped a lot um I think Philippines is like really one to keep your eye on as well um like David Ong is doing incredible things for the scene out there and you know I love seeing Philippines for example there's a lot of women in bartending out there as well So yeah, but I mean everyone's doing cool stuff in their own way. You know, some people might not develop as quick as others, but we're all I don't know if we'll all ever get to the same level, but there there'll be a great standard in every country, you know, in the next five years. When we talk about um, bars generally speaking, it's uh, difficult to sort of picture a different angle from which to talk about bars because a bar is a bar, right? Yeah. How do you guys go about trying to make uh, your reads interesting and how do you go about looking for different angles to talk about bars? So the one thing, it was quite hard for me to make the transition from Time Out being a consumer-facing publication to a trade-facing publication. And obviously, I was I was fortunate that I'd freelanced a bit for drinks, so I had an idea. But as I always tell people, it's about being nerdy on Drink Magazine. So we write for, you know, people like you and everyone who's listening to this. They don't want to read about... You know, I walked into a bar and, you know, this looked like this and the drink was a little bit sweet, but blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not what people who read Drink Magazine want to read about. They want to read about, like, the nerdy stuff. Like, you know, for example, when I wrote about Idlewild, it was like, you know, tell me about your unique spirits collection or, you know, we'll talk like maybe you have a really unique playlist or something and we'll try and zero in on those those like important elements and I always say to my interviewees I say that we always need to inspire or educate whoever's reading this and when you're writing reviews at time out you're telling people what's good and bad but you're not inspiring or educating and that's like every article that I write for drink especially when it's venue based you know not just a news piece it has to it has to have something unique So there are a lot of new bars opening in uh, Singapore and especially Hong Kong as well how do you keep up with all this It's really hard because, uh, like I said, I'm kind of, you know, I have the support of my fantastic team in China, but they're covering China. Um, so when it comes to Asia, I'm kind of a one woman, one woman band. And it's just, I can't cover everyone. I'm sorry, guys. I wish I could. Um, wah, but it's, wah, wah. <laughs> it's about picking what I think is the most relevant. Um, you know, so I guess there's still bringing that old element of, you know, timeout critique to it. And again, that's not to say the others aren't relevant. It's just like, right, what what do I think is going to shake stuff up at the moment? Or, And sometimes, you know, as someone who runs an online magazine, you have to think what's going to get the most traction, you know, like have to think from a business perspective as well. But yeah, and I think that, again, you know, it's about writing about the things that I think people will appreciate. So when I like recently covered Vietnam, it was just like, It's not just about me, but it was really nice that I got to celebrate that, like I said, celebrate those guys and that they were so thankful for it, you know. But it is it's honestly hard and there's no right answer to why I choose to write about particular things. 
do you think the market is getting a bit saturated or not in, in terms of bars? Because with so many new openings, I'm sure yeah. there's some redundant concept. Uh... That's a really good question. And I think in like in Hong Kong, I can speak more for Hong Kong because I live there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that someone said to me was the old man is such a testament to it's an independently owned bar. Hong Kong rent is like astronomical. And if you can survive and do well, then, you know, you're really you're really doing something right. I think it's a bit different. I think Singapore is pretty similar. I'm not too sure about the rent here, but I think that Singapore and Hong Kong maybe need to pump the brakes a little bit because like you said, it'll become oversaturated or it's just harder, you know, like if you're opening a bar here, you need to do something really special to be able to stand out from the old man's and the Manhattan's and the Atlas's, you know. Um, But at the same time, you know, I talked about wanting to celebrate the smaller scenes. I think the more that we push the boundaries in Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand will inspire everyone else, you know, so it's it's a double-edged sword, really. But going back to my question, do you think there are the, the bubble of guests, it's enough to sustain all these new bars opening? I don't, it's a difficult question because, you know, I always want, not just for my love of Hong Kong, I want more bars on Asia's 50 or World's 50 because it brings more people to our scene. You know, more people are going to come if there's better, there's more places to go. So again, it's another double-edged sword, but I think, you know, we're, we're lucky in Asia that we do get a lot of tourists and it's, I think we might become too oversaturated for the local population, mm-hmm. but we'll definitely be able to, you know, we can always sustain the tourist influx, I think, if that makes sense. It does, it does. Talk to us a little bit about the Chinese market, because probably you have a bit more of an insight that, than our listeners do. Obviously, I, Hong Kong is slightly different to the China market, mm-hmm. and I know a little bit from my colleagues, but I think China, China needs to get a bit more limelight. I think it's a little bit... It's not that China is insular. I think the rest of the world doesn't really look at China and they should be. You know, we've got, again, we've got some incredible bars out there like Speak Low, Sober Company, Union Trading Co. And then there's other smaller bars that, you know, you don't have to be on a list to be a good bar. You know, you have uh, Epic. Um, and I go to Shanghai at least twice a year for work, usually more. Um, and every time I go, I'm, I, you know, I'm really inspired. And I think that the rest of the world needs to pay attention. And that's also my theory about Asia. Um, and I, I got into a bit of a, a thing with someone the other day. And I, I said, I was talking to a London bartender and I said, Asia, Asia's building up. Like people need to watch out. I said, yeah, we have Asia's 50 and we have bars on World's 50. The world knows about us. But I feel that, you know, some people in the UK, the European, the American, Australian bar scene, they don't look at us. They don't look at Asia and what we're doing. And one day we're just going to overtake them and everyone's going to go, where the fuck did that come from? You know, because they've not been concentrating. And I think that's the case with China as well. Um, mm. People are just going to be like, whoa, oh, okay. Like China knows what they're doing. It's a little bit uh, the same that happened uh, with the US market, if you remember, when Tales of the Cocktail started to push. And because it was a US-based institution, everybody thought, oh, you know, everything's going to be fine. And then at some point Europe came in yeah, and just devoured all the awards, and then they had to split them into two categories, right? And that's going to be us. I really hope. Like I always tell everyone, you know, I was at BCB in uh, Berlin last year, and there wasn't much Asian representation. Like from the scene, there was, you know, off the top of the head, there was me um, and your last interviewee, Vivian Pei, mm. and we just, you know, we represented Asia hard. And everywhere I go, like I wear asia on my sleeve you know Mm -hmm. i'm like i make sure people know about it um i shout about it i want people to know and you know we'll see it spirited this year and i think i'm really interested to see what happened at the spirited awards this year and i really hope that everyone voted talking about yourself a little bit more have you ever thought about uh, running your own publication 
I think it's really difficult. It's something that every journalist thinks of. And definitely in that that small period where I left um, Time Out to Drink magazine, it's something that I considered. And one of my best friends is a really successful blogger. But you have to be ahead of the curve. And, you know, she was successful because she started blogging before blogging was a thing. So it built up and up and up. Um, and honestly, like, I don't think I would want to because I love Drink Magazine and I think that we're one of the leaders in our industry and I don't, you know, I don't want to compete, compete with them. I'm happy to be part of it. I think that if I was going to do my own thing, I'd rather open my own bar than start a publication. Really? Because opening a bar, uh, it's a bit of a cursed, uh, it's poison chalice, is it? Like it can go very well, but can go very, very, very well. Yeah, it's funny, actually. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, my partner, Tom Edgerton, uh, he's a bartender as well. Mm. Um, he's now a proof and co, so he's more, you know, suits than behind the uh, bar these days, uh. but still, he's industry. And every, you know, he said, oh, you know, of course, it's every bartender's dream to open a bar, but I don't want to because it's just a pain in the ass. And then we we both walked away from this trip feeling quite inspired, like, you know, but then it comes back to your question about oversaturation. Um, but we'll see, like, you know, we've got another good couple of years of doing what we're doing and who knows, you never, you just never know. You never know where you'll end up or what the need will be. You know, I've always said that I would love to retire in Penang in Malaysia and, you know, there's there's some great bars there, but, you know, could end up building up that scene. We'll see. <laughs> but also I think... Uh when it comes to bars nowadays, I mean, if you look at, the, say, about 10, 15 years ago, opening a bar was probably the quickest way you had to make a buck, right, in this yeah. industry. Well, now I think that there are so many ways for you to progress your career that opening a bar is really not uh, the only way for you to do it, right? Because yeah. there's all sorts of things happening. You know, you have people who become brand ambassadors, which is a position that uh, was barely existing. No? Exactly. Like, where did, like, I love all my brand ambassador friends and it's a fantastic job, but like, it just blew up, right? I was yeah, like, where did they exactly. come from? Talking again about you as a writer, because I find it very interesting. What sort of advice would you give to someone who wants to start writing about food or drinks, generally speaking? It's hard. Um, like journalism and, and writing and magazines is dog eat dog. And, you know, we're all very aware that everything has changed. Everything's digital now. Um, you know, drink magazine used to print. And it's not that it's not about the financial element of it. It's just like, what's the point in print? And I, I love print and I believe that print will have another resurgence eventually. But at the uh, moment... Really? What makes you think that? I think, that? I think it's super dead. I think that in the light, not so much from the angle that we write, like that I write from, but I think that in the light of all the bullshit and fake news and, you know, all the shit that's out there, you know, it's so easy to just get online and write anything, right? But there's something a bit more... Print is is tangible, is physical. And it's, I don't know, I think people still have more trust in print. You know, you trust a newspaper, a physical, you know, if you have like SCMP or the Straits Times in your hand, you'd probably trust that more than you read on some website you don't know. And I think that like a lot of the very established magazines or newspapers, they'll, they'll print till the end of time, you know, well, who knows what will happen. But I think I just, I just have this theory that we're gonna, that, you know, print is dipping down and it will just resurge again one day, but we'll see. But yeah, I think in this digital era, um, especially for Drink Magazine, right? Because mostly bartenders read it. They don't have time to hold a magazine behind a bar. It's easy to be like, oh, you know, it's pretty quiet. Grab your phone. But yeah, so sorry, my my point, my advice to writers would just be just never give up. And this is going to sound super cut, sorry, but this is something that I've learned. A lot of people think that they can write, but not everyone can write. It's, mm. It is a talent. And obviously you can nurture it and grow it. And, you know, my writing compared to even five years ago has developed so much. But I think that if someone tells you you can't do it, then you need to listen. 
because I see, you know, we used to have interns and it would make me really sad and I'd just be like, this kid can't write, you know, and no matter how much I help them and nurture them, like, it's just not the career for them. Or they don't have, you know, that, like, journalism is an instinct as well. You know, you were asking about how do I know what to write about it? Sometimes it's just like an instinct. You you know, that's going to be a good story or something. So just... You know, if you, if you really want to do it, keep doing it. You're going to have to work for free a lot. You're going to have to just get in people's faces and be like, you know, pre-write stuff and give it to them. Don't don't come at someone and say, I want to write for you. If I have people approach me who say, I want to write for you, I'm like, cool, pitch me an idea. And nine times out of 10, people will never pitch you that idea because people want things to be easy these days, right? They want me to tell them what to write. And I'm like, no, you need to tell me your ideas. So it's the other way around. Like you have to go to someone with a clear idea of like what your angle is, right? Yeah, you need I mean, to go into battle with, you know, with your weapons. You can't just turn up and be like, oh, all right for you guys. I mean, I, I, you know, I said I turned up at the old man and said, I want a job. But, that, you know, we had a relationship that was different. But yeah, you need to come in. Same with any job or any career, right? You need ideas and creativity and to prove that you're, you know, capable. You mentioned working for free. Is that really a thing? Like... Yeah, I mean, look, when I graduated from university, like I said, I was more in the sort of TV and production side. And I I wouldn't say taken advantage of, but people take the piss in media. And, you know, there is, when you're at university, there's this expectation that's drummed into you that you will have to work for free. You'll be a runner, you know, a production runner, and you'll be just buying someone's coffee and sandwiches. And, you know, you'll work from... I don't know, like eight in the morning till midnight or something, you know, it's, it's similar to hospitality in a way mm-hmm. because you're running around and you're serving people. So maybe maybe that's what inspired me back in the day. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's all about building a profile. Um, I guess similar to bartending in the sense that, you know, when you start off as a bar back or even just a glassy or something, you're not earning much money and you've got to build your way up. Yeah, but I think there is a there is a pro there because when you work in a bar, you actually get paid. Yeah, and you, you know? get tips. <laughs> yeah, and you get tips. Because I remember, like, the, I have a couple of friends who are researchers, right? And they're trying to get a PhD, and they're doing it for free. And on top of that, they have to pay to be where they are. So I think, yeah, as an industry, we get a lot of stake, but I think we're quite privileged in a way that you have a paid progression path, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I think that it's it is quite easy. Uh, sorry, not easy. That's the wrong word. It's there are more ways to advance in the bar industry, you know, um, because obviously everyone has to prove themselves. But, you know, let's say you're a glassy one week and then, you know, you're left behind the bar the next week. If you're doing a good job, then you're going to progress mm. pretty quickly, you know. And again, the same with writing. If you're not, then you'll be out of there. There's lots of similarities, weirdly. What makes a good writer, in your opinion? Just like not being scared to find interesting stories and also not being scared to to say to people no this is shit I don't want to write about it you know I have a lot of people say to me oh you should do this or you should cover that and I just I don't think it's good so it's knowing what are the right things um it's when you're in a regional publication like me it's trying to celebrate and include everyone as much as you can and just I mean, like now I'm lost for words. Sometimes I feel like I'm not very articulate when I speak. I am, although I like talking, I'm better at articulating myself when I write. Um, And it's just being able to convey your ideas. And something that a lot of people always say to me that I'm really proud of is they always say that they can read it in my voice. So if my friends know me, they're like, that sounds like Holly. But if you don't know me, it's still, because I was like, well, then if you don't know me, it doesn't work right. And they're like, no, but it does. You know, I've, I've met a few people this week and they're like, oh, you're Holly Graham. I've seen your byline. I love your stories, you know, so that's always really nice. Yeah. How is it to be a woman in the writing industry? 
I think it's a bit different in writing because it's usually fairly balanced, I find. You know, at Time Out, some uh, Time Out group just bought the franchise license back from Hong Kong a couple of years ago. And our ex-publisher was a woman. Um, the associate publisher was a woman. I would say about half the editorial team were women. But it's a little bit more cutthroat. Um, I've worked with other women that have tried to put me down. I always say that, you know, one of the experiences that I had of sexual harassment at work was from another woman. Not sorry, not sexual harassment, like sexual, sexually inappropriate comments from other women, you know. So oh, really? I actually think it's a bit more cutthroat when it's woman to woman in journalism. But although there is a good balance, but I also think it's that journalistic nature of just being a bit more, you know, everyone's out there for themselves. Yeah, because like, as you describe it, there's a lot, there must be a lot of competitions because I think the paid seats are not that many. So yeah, yeah, it must be quite brutal out there. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> and I think this is another reason that made me gravitate towards the bar industry because the camaraderie and the friendship here is just so strong. Like every time I walk away from an event like Singapore Cocktail Festival last year, this year, BCB, like my heart is so full. Like, and I know that sounds really sentimental and I'm not a very sappy person, but like, I just, you know, everything went so right on this trip. And, you know, I'm just about to go to the airport culminating in doing this podcast, you know, like I feel like I've achieved so many things and met so many good people and, you know, made some great connections. And that's definitely why I'm a writer at heart and I always will be. But it's the it's the love in the industry that, that drew me towards it. You joined this industry fairly late yeah. in your career. What sort of challenges have you had that you thought, oh, if I started early, it would have been easier? Um, it's hard to say, actually. I mean, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but sometimes, you know, I'm older than when most of you guys probably uh -huh. started your career. You know, I'm 32 now. I started in my 30s. And, you know, most most of you guys probably started around 17 or early yeah. 20s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you were fit as fiddles and, you know, you could function on no sleep and you could shut, shut, shots and you'd be fine. So I think, I think sometimes it's exhausting and I'm sure it's exhausting when you're young anyway, but, you know, when you're older, yeah, you everything's, power through everything's it, right? harder. Yeah, um, and I think that, again, we're really lucky going back to what you said. Everyone's really supportive and nice, but there's definitely a few people who sort of side eye me. And I've had some shitty comments. I've had someone say to me, oh, don't you think your position as a journalist is what got you like a job in the old man and things like that? And that really hurts me because they don't understand the connection that I have with that place and that team and the love, you know, and and also that I put myself out there and I hustle like and I don't ever try and use my name or my credentials to, you know, boost myself in life. I, you know, I just be mean and that's what gets me where I am. So that that was kind of shitty to have a few skeptics, but as I always say with skeptics, I just prove them wrong. You know, mm -hmm. if anyone says you can't do this, I say, well, watch me fucking do it then. In terms of knowledge, how do you complement your knowledge? Because if you started quite late, you had a bit of catching up to do, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I've always been into like F&B, um, you know, anywhere I've ever lived, I've been, I've been on the scene. And that's why I think I got the job at Time Out, because it was very clear that I was passionate about the industry and I was passionate about F&B and... You know, I was a foodie and I I am not fussy. I eat and drink everything, sometimes to my own waistline's detriment. <laughs> but um, yeah, and you know, and my father's like a really enthusiastic cook. My mum, like, you know, I'm I'm such a good amalgamation of my parents. My dad's like the cook and my mum's the brains. And then it's sort of molded together, you know. Um, does your dad know that your mom is the brains? And does your mom Oh, they are well aware. The well aware, yeah. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> um, if you're listening, mom and dad, I love you both. Okay. Um, 
No, what was I saying? Yeah, so I think really it's been fine. And like I said, supportive people, it's been fine. I had a, I had a fair bit of knowledge anyway. Like I'm a whiskey nerd. I love whiskey. And it's, you meet so many passionate people that it's really in, it, like easy to boost your knowledge. You know, just I'm an agave nut now purely because, you know, Jay Khan at Koa and just sitting in that bar and he will talk to me forever, you know, because I want to hear everything and I want to learn everything. Um, and, you know, I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of some bartenders, again, because I haven't been doing it for 15 years. But I'd like to think that people think that I know my shit because I, I do. <laughs> That's cool, yeah, fantastic. There's a lot happening with the old men, right? So you're opening places left and right. There's pop-ups happenings and stuff like that. Could you tell us a little bit more about your future projects, if you can? I don't know if I'm allowed. Uh, I mean, look, given that the old man just got number one on Asia's 50, and we just, just had the grand opening the day before of the old man Singapore, um, and then we've got the sea in Hong Kong, which has just had its grand opening a couple of weeks ago as well. I think that, I think... Again, boys, if you're listening, I think that the three old men need to just chill out for a minute and just absorb it, you know. Um, but I know they won't. I know they won't stop because they're always striving for the best. And I think they ignite passion in me as well, right? You know, because even I know they're happy with being number one, but there's always something else. They know there's always something else they can do. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll Could see. you talk to us a little bit about the sea? So the sea is just around the corner from the old man. It's a bit more, it's a quieter neighborhood. There's still like, you know, uh, restaurants and a few bars around the area, but the old man is like in the heart of Soho. So the sea is a bit more like the, the sort of living room of the old man, if you like. Um, it's very, you know, you can tell their sister bars that the sea is like the old man, but more oceanic, like when it comes to decor. The drinks, you know, they're still very experimental and very creative, but they're a lot more approachable, um, you know, because the whole point of the menu at the old man is for the ingredients to evoke questions. So, you know, when we're serving people, people are like, what does Rotovapsi mean? You know, and you have to explain, whereas the drinks at the sea are a little bit more approachable. Um, you know, it's a bit more obvious what the ingredients are. But like that, you know, we still have that same vein, that same, you know, we like to have fun. We like to serve good drinks, but we still, you know, try and keep it classy for the best part. What's uh, your relationship with food? Oh, uh, yeah, I love food. So food was the main reason I got into this industry, but it was at time out that... I I started to gravitate more towards the booze side because some of my um, editors at Time Out, they didn't really, you know, because there's so many food and drink venues to cover in Time Out that some of my colleagues would help me out. And no one ever really wanted to do the drink, like the bar stuff, because they just, you know, they weren't big drinkers, which is fair enough. And it was something that I found myself like leaning more and more towards. But no, I, I again, I love food to my detriment. Um, I have just come from Coconut Club because I was like, I need to get me a nasi lemak before I leave Singapore. And most of my vacations or travels are dictated around restaurants and bars. Like sightseeing always is comes third or secondary to restaurants and bars. What is it that you like about food? Just, it's, I think it's the passion, the creativity. I just... I just enjoy eating. Like I'm always thinking about where my next meal's coming from, you know, like even though I'm so full up from Nasi Lamak, I'm like, oh, I wonder what I can eat on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, I mean, I love Asian food so much. Like Carl too from KL always makes a joke. He was like, Holly, I've never seen a non-Asian person eat so much Asian food. And I, I always get a little bit offended when people are like, oh, can you eat that? Is it too spicy? Have you tried this one before? And I'm, you know, I, I just love it. Like, Cantonese food is incredible. I love like Singaporean and Malaysian food, Thai food. Like, I mean, I could be here all day, but it's, I think it's the variation and 
unfortunately, I really hate to play up to the stereotype, but English food isn't that exciting. I do love it. And don't get me wrong, when I go home, I cannot wait to eat like a Sunday roast. But we, I was very fortunate. Like I said, my dad always cooked a different cuisine every day, pretty much. It wasn't always English. We'd have Italian or Spanish or Thai, you know. So I think I just grew up with like an excited palate. So he's really into cooking, your dad, is he? Yeah, yeah, big time, yeah. That's a very good thing to have at home. Uh, dad was good at cooking. My I, dad was a disaster at cooking, but my mom was very good at it. So I know, right? And, you know, this is where, you know, we come back to what we were saying about, you know, stereotypes and women and stuff like that. When I was a kid, everyone was like, what did mommy cook you for dinner? I was like, no, daddy cooked dinner. And everyone would be like, oh, wow. You know, because 30 odd years ago, that was strange. Yeah, yeah, no, it was very, very strange, yeah. absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about awards. You just won... Uh, Two, if I'm not mistaken, at the same uh, award ceremony. How do you think awards uh, are shaping the industry, if they're shaping the industry at all? Oh, tough question. Um, look, everyone is skeptical about them. But then when we get on the list, we're all happy about it, right? Mm -hmm. It's still such a great feeling. From what I understand, Asia's and World's 50 is going to change their voting slightly. I think that you can't be the same number one more than once in a row, which... I agree and disagree with. Um, super happy for Manhattan that they got to have the crown two years in a row. But I think it kind of sucks now that, you know, there's no chance of the old man being number one next year. And I think that they're changing the voting panels as well. So there's going to be less bartenders and bar owners and more sort of industry adjacent people. Um, again, I don't know how much of this is true, but it's what I've heard. Um i think they're really good, but of course they can always be detrimental, you know, especially if they're small bars like the old man. But, you know, fortunately our staff and our door staff are very capable and very friendly. Um, but I think they're important. And, you know, to us, as much as we love our industry, we're quite insular as well. We're like, you know, I'll tell my friends back at home, like, oh my God, the bar that I work for just won Asia's best bar. And they're like, cool. They don't realize how big that is, you know? So I have to say to people, I'm like, it's like the Oscars of the bar world. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's like Michelin, but better, you know, because it's probably more credible. But I, ask me the question again in a few years. I think we need to, a few more years of Asia's 50 to see how it will shape the industry. What I think is bullshit is bars that, literally open to try and be on the like on the list they they don't open because they're passionate and they care they just want to be on the list i have bartenders or bar owners saying to me holly how do i get on it what's the voting panel because you know we have uh, dmba as well uh, drink magazine and people say like how can my venue be featured and i said no that's not how we work we have a voting panel you know and we select from that we can't you don't pay us and get on the list you know mm. that's just I, I just don't want it to end up like, you know, there's rumors that a certain awarding bod body that awards stars gets, they're paid for. And I just, I don't ever want to see that happen in the bar industry. I hear your point about you shouldn't open a place to try to get uh, an award. And I totally agree with that. However, there are some places and one can argue old men probably to, to a certain extent that they see these awards as a possibility for them to increase revenue because there is a monetary value to an award, you know, and that's unquestionable. You will have more footfall if you win an award. For sure. But I think the one thing that like, not to, you know, sound defensive or anything, but the good thing about the old man is the old man can only ever ser serve a certain amount of people because we're so small, right? There's 25 seats with a little bit of standing room. And, you know, the old man's not even been open two years yet. And it got on Asia's 50 after nine months, you know, so that shows that the footfall was big anyway. And that's because Gung and Roman and James are so well respected and they've developed their followings in their respective previous jobs. You know, so 
I would say that they're a good case against it. You know, they opened a bar because they were passionate and they did well because everyone was just like, wow, when it mm. opened, you know, the footfall hasn't really changed since day one. You know, it's not like it was a slow, slow pace. It was, it's always been busy. The only difference is now there might be some more lines, you know. Totally agree. Do you think uh, that there are a lot of differences in between Asia 50 Best and World 50 Best in the way that they function or? It's hard to tell. Like I was actually thinking about this the other day because, you know, Some someone asked me, I can't remember what bar it is. They were like, Well, how are they this high up on Asia's 50, but that that much lower on yeah, worlds? And that, obviously that's what brings this question on. Yeah, table. and obviously they're ranked against other bars, like you know, a lot of London bars and American bars and stuff like that. But I guess it is just your standing in the world. Um, and like I said, unfortunately, people don't have as much of an eye on Asia. Um, and as I understand there's not as much voting panel in Asia for Worlds 50. But again, I think this is something that's going to change from what I heard. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how Worlds 50 pans out this year. And, you know, obviously that would be fantastic if Old Man was number one, but I just, it would just be amazing to see a bar from Asia. Mm. And like I said to everyone on the night of Asia's 50 best this year, it's not about the Old Man. I, I mean, it's for us as Hong Kongers, it's about Hong Kong. Like it's mm -hmm. good for everyone, you know, and just to finally get the recognition that Hong Kong deserves as well. What would you change in the structure if you could change something? Good question. I would have an equal amount of people as much as I could for each region. But again, like, what do you class as a region? You know, because let's say, for example, we don't have any bars from Dubai on Asia's, on, a, sorry, World's 50. So does that mean we should have a voting panel in Dubai or not? Should we have an even amount in London and Hong Kong because London and Hong Kong are on the list or not? It's it's hard, but I would say in, in the major bar scenes, sorry, bar regions, I think we should have, try and have an equal amount of voters as we can. It was uh, fantastic talking to you. I have a last question that I asked to all the people interview, which is... If you could choose your last drink, what would your last drink be? Oh, my God. Oh, that's really hard. Can I have a drink and a shot or does it have oh, to be whatever, one drink? You know, where people who have like a bottle of wine or whatever. Oh, man. I guess it would have to be a shot of Fanet Branca. Like, I hate to be that guy, but I'm very passionate about Fanet. I actually designed the 2019 Hong Kong coin. No, okay, okay. So let's get the Fernet thing out of the way. All right. I love Fernet, but I think this uh, thing of uh, industry of has to stop. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. It, it, Do you um, see my point? Like, yeah. I mean, I love Fernet, but like after five shots of Fernet, yeah. my, my evening is not going towards the right direction. I guess it would just have to be like, I don't know, a nice... <laughs> no, 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 you can't keep it. It's fine. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> no, but if we're going to change yeah, it, yeah. just like a, a whiskey, like a very, like a good scotch, something like a bit peaty with a bit of salinity, like a Kragalaki uh -huh. or something. Uh, I oh, I just want to drink the whole bar. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's difficult. It's difficult to pick. It's one. a very hard question. It's like choosing your favorite child. Absolutely. Well, Holly, it was amazing having you over. It was mega talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Holly. You can find more content from us on YouTube and Instagram, where we post our hashtag How to Classic Cocktails video, where every week we show you how to make classic cocktails in less than a minute. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.